are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Good morning. Our first reading today comes from Romans 8, 22-25. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await it with endurance. Our second reading today comes from Revelation 21, 1-5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. And the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Then he said to me, write it down, because these words are reliable and true. I was driving out in the country this week, and I saw a big bald eagle that was perched up in an oak tree overlooking a snow-covered field. It was just a beautiful sight. We see a lot more eagles now than we did, say, 30 years ago. I remember being in elementary school and they'd talk about the eagle as on the endangered species list. And so here it's made this remarkable comeback. We certainly see that in Minnesota, where we have the most eagles now in the lower 48 states. So second only to Alaska in the United States. And the bird that I saw this week, this eagle was a big mature one and just seemed to so clearly embody Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Today's the last Sunday of 2020, a year that has been long and hard and challenging in many ways. It's almost over. And like an eagle poised in the tree about ready to take off, We're just about to head into the new year, a year that we have been waiting for and longing for for a long time. And yet I think how we do this this week, how we finish 2020, is a really significant, important task before us. You know, there's, of course, the temptation to badmouth 2020 as a bad year. And while it's certainly important to be honest and to grieve the things that didn't go well. There is all kinds of good reason to do that. I want to be careful that we don't run into this temptation of crossing over into idle words that do not acknowledge the many gifts of God's grace that we have also experienced this year. We got a couple scripture passages today that I think speak to both the present reality and also our future hope. Passages that help us come to terms, I think, with where we've been and also where we're going. I want to thank Matt for reading scripture for us this morning. 
Matt, you have a little bit more facial hair than when I first got to know you all those years ago. Definitely a feat that I could not pull off. But great to have Matt, one of our college students, young adults, reading scripture with us. Romans 8 and Revelation 21 were our passages today. As I shared on Christmas Eve, I've been particularly drawn to the book of Revelation. In our earlier services, I should say, I shared that. Both because our Bible reading plan, Project 51, has had us there in December, but also because this year has felt, in some ways, I say a little tongue-in-cheek, but has felt kind of like an apocalyptic year, and that would be the book of Revelation. So Christmas Eve, we were in Revelation 5 in those early couple of services, and today I want to share with you from Revelation 21. But before we get there, we've got Romans 8. Now, this is also somewhat of a preview of the new year ahead, because in 2021, we're going to finally study Romans. We have been waiting for this for 10 years. We have, across 10 years of the white church's existence, studied most of the letters of the New Testament, but we have never gone through Romans. Now, Martin Luther called Romans the chief book of the New Testament, an absolute treasure in terms of understanding Jesus and what God is doing in and through us. But I just have felt like we needed to be ready to wade into these deeper theological waters. And by God's grace, I just have had a sense the last year or so that it's time, that we're ready for Romans. So in our 11th year in 2021, we're going to study Romans, the first half in the spring and the second half in the fall. So today you get a little bit of a taste of this magnificent book called Romans. I've outlined our message today under four key words, two from Romans and two from Revelation. They're the words groaning, waiting, dwelling, and comforting. And the direction of the whole message is that there will be a day when our pain is met in his promises, when our present reality will finally give way to a glorious future in Christ. And so to start, we're going to be in Romans 8. Look at verse 22 with me where we began. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Isn't that what we have been feeling this year? The whole creation seems to be groaning. A pandemic that has overshadowed almost an entire year. The loss of human life on this planet, field hospitals and mobile morgues in our own country, plus the loss to businesses, the loss of social interactions, the loss of in-person education. But not just COVID-19 this year. We could talk about that a long time. But remember how the year started with immense wildfires in Australia back in January. And then in the fall, it was closer to home. It was California and then Colorado. Maybe you remember in October, there were those days where the sky over Minnesota had this strange orange-yellowish hue because of all the smoke in the air from the Rocky Mountains. This was a year that also put our own state of Minnesota on the map for many parts of the world as they watched footage of George Floyd and as they googled the name Minneapolis. At the same time, we saw our city in flames and chaos in the nightly news till the Minnesota National Guard was finally called in to help, which was its largest deployment since World War II. But what started here 
really swept across our country. And so we watched as riots and protests and division took hold of our land. 2020 has also been a year of exhausting political events to this very day, I would add. And we may wonder some days if our nation's best days are behind us. Or maybe we wonder what needs to change to improve the dialogue in our country and to get people on the same page. Those are some of the things that weigh heavy on our minds this year. And those really are just the big headlines. That's not to mention the personal losses and difficulties that many of us have walked through this year. Paul says the whole creation is groaning, and he likens it then to the pains of childbirth. Now, I am not particularly qualified to speak to the pains of childbirth for pretty obvious reasons, but we can all understand the biblical imagery that's used here, and it's something that moms can speak to very personally, and that is how the pain of childbirth gives way to the joy of then holding that newborn baby. So in our passage, yes, all creation is groaning, but it's not a meaningless, senseless kind of groaning. It's an anticipation of the joy that's to come. When Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples in John 16, he said to them, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. What a promise. What a promise. And so we see This is not just for creation in general, but this is for you and me personally. There's a groaning that we see in the news and in our cities and states, but there's also a groaning that goes up from every one of us, maybe more or less depending on what age you are right now or the given circumstance in your life, but a groaning that sooner or later we all know and feel. Paul says, not only so, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We are in these broken bodies. That is probably the clearest evidence of all that all is not well in the world. These bodies that get sick and wear out and malfunction and age. But the Bible says that one day the old body that you're in and and that I'm in will be redeemed. It'll be reclaimed and regained in perfect working condition. It's what the Bible calls the resurrection body. It's the one Jesus is walking around in after Easter and the one that you'll get one day when the dead in Christ are raised. In the meantime, we've got a down payment, Paul says, on that future day. I don't go to the dry cleaners very often, but, you know, occasionally I've got a stain that is so hopelessly set in on a pair of pants or a shirt that I got to bite the bullet and have the professionals take a look. And when you take something to the dry cleaner, you turn it in and you get a receipt back from them. Where I go, it's a pink ticket, which means they're working on something for me. 
I put that in my wallet and it's a reminder. I've got something at the cleaners that they're working on and in a few days I can head back and I'll pick up my pants and they'll look as good as new. You know, when you say yes to life with Jesus, to his forgiveness and his love, it's kind of like you finally dropped off that pair of pants that you stained so badly. You trade it in because you're not going to be able to fix it. And you trade it in to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is all that you'll ever need. And yet one day you'll even get back that pair of pants in perfect condition. But in the meantime, you've got that ticket that means God is working on something for me. Now, in spiritual terms, that ticket isn't something that you put in your wallet, of course. It gets deposited into your very heart. It's the first fruits of the Spirit, Paul says, the indwelling Holy Spirit that God gives to us as a guarantee of his salvation. So are we groaning right now? Yes, we are. Are we in these broken down bodies that are wearing out? Yes, we are. But for the Christian, God has begun something new in me that will be brought to completion one day. You and I get to live in that hope. The Holy Spirit has moved into our hearts to bring us to that final day. And that changes the whole outlook of how we experience this present groaning. That's why Paul says we wait eagerly like a mom who is going to have a baby. We wait eagerly because though it's painful right now, we've got something worth waiting for. And that waiting is characterized by a word that comes up again and again in Romans 8. The word is hope. Five times it came up in just two verses of our reading. We're not just waiting. We're waiting with hope. Waiting is like when you're at the DMV and you're standing in a line that's 10 people deep just to write a check to a government agency. But waiting in hope is what you get to do when you're at Valley Fair and you're waiting with your friends to get on your favorite ride. That's waiting with hope. Hope is so much different in the Bible than in our American vernacular. When Isaiah or Paul speak of hope, it is a confident expectation of what has been promised. It's not wishful thinking. So Paul concludes, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That phrase there at the end means a patient endurance to bear up under intense pressure. It's a word used frequently in the Bible to describe believers who are undergoing trials and waiting for the fulfillment of God's promised salvation. Paul says we wait for it patiently. And when we look back on this year, we have had a lot of practice waiting. Now maybe you have seen some people waiting patiently, doing that well, and maybe others not so much. I mean, certainly all of us just know what goes on in our own hearts and minds, what it means to vacillate between patient waiting and impatient waiting. There maybe have been days where you're content and you're optimistic and persevering. And then there have been other days this year where you're about ready to jump out of your skin because you've been so cooped up or you're just angry at the world. But have we been learning what it means to wait eagerly, to bear up under intense pressure, 
and not buckle or grow bitter. It's not a lesson anyone signs up for, this patient endurance thing, but it is what is required as we wait for the glory of what lies ahead. Let's go to Revelation 21 now. All of our groaning and all of our waiting are really yearning for this day to come when Christ returns and his victory over sin, death, and evil are complete. The story goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, really. It's something that we have rehearsed quite a bit lately because it's impossible to understand Christmas if we don't understand our need for Christmas. And so we have talked lately about what it's like there at the beginning of the Bible. The first people, Adam and Eve, lived with God in the Garden of Eden. And I want you to just imagine that kind of fellowship. Like your room is just down the hall from God, where you would be with him for mealtimes around the table, when you would take a walk outside and God would be alongside you and you have this conversation with the almighty creator and yet one who is like a loving, perfect father, all in one. But then we walked out of that relationship We sinned against God and severed our relationship with him. And Genesis chapter 3 ends with God banishing Adam and Eve from the garden and driving them out. Now, did Adam and Eve miss the Garden of Eden? I'm sure they did. But really what they missed the most would have been the presence of God. That's the damage that was really done. That's what God had created us for. It's what he created them for, to be his children, to live in his presence. So ever since that day when we lost it, God has been working out his plan to get us home. And the key word throughout the Bible is the word dwelling, to restore us to his presence. In the Old Testament, he has them make a tabernacle, which is like a tent, really, that the people could carry around with them and have this visual reminder of God's presence with them wherever they went. Here's how he says it to Moses in Exodus 25. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And then later, God gives them land and a more permanent place to live, and so they trade in the tent for the temple. But what happens when the people continually walk away from God, and they lose their land, and they lose their temple? You know, there's always this sense in the Old Testament of a lack of permanency. The people are just too fickle to follow God and be in relationship with him for very long. They're always falling away and falling down. And yet God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So he continues to carry out his plan of salvation, even when things get bleak. Ezekiel was a prophet to the exiles in Babylon. So there's no land, no temple, and yet God assures Ezekiel, I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So what does God do? Well, he doesn't rely on tabernacles or temples, that's for sure. Those were just a shadow of things to come. Stephen says in the book of Acts, The Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. So God sends Christmas. He sends his son. We read in our candlelight service on Christmas Eve, 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's why the name Emmanuel is so significant, because Jesus is God with us, the image of the invisible God. But that's not the final chapter either, is it? As Jesus is preparing for the cross, he's saying goodbye to his disciples, and he says to them, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He lives with you and will be in you. So in Jesus, God dwelled with us, and now in the Holy Spirit, God dwells in us. And do you see this narrative in Scripture, how God is drawing us closer and closer? Tabernacle, temple, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And it will all come to an amazing finish one day in Revelation 21. The curse of sin and our separation from God is finally and fully reversed. The groaning of creation is finished when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And then from the throne of heaven, we hear these words, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So we have groaning, waiting, dwelling, and now finally comforting. Verse 4 of Revelation 21 is so precious. I have read these words at many funerals, not because they're sentimental, but because they're true. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you know that God loves you like that? The psalmist says he keeps count of your tossing and puts your tears in a bottle. Every tear that you have ever cried, he knows. He knows your groaning, your waiting, your longing to be home in a way that you can't find ever on this earth. So he's coming. Not just to comfort, but to cast out every cause for sorrow. He doesn't just wipe away your tears, but he casts out every reason. Death, mourning, crying, and pain. They will have no place in our eternal home. As we close out this year, I want to leave you not with my words, but with the words of Jesus. Words that will help you and me to close out this year and to begin the next. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son so we could come home. Thank you for sending your Spirit to help us and guide us. Lord, how we long to dwell in your presence. Our days here are are filled with groaning. And so we ask that you teach us how to wait with hope, how to endure, to be faithful to the end when you will make all things new. We finish 2020, Lord, thankful for your grace that has been with us all through this year. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to begin the new year ahead with courage and purpose as we follow after you. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who is worthy of all blessing and glory. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.